Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to Talking Taste Buds. I'm Venetia Falconer and this is my series all about food, well-being, mental health, sustainability and everything in between. Thank you so much for all of your support on season four so far. I make this podcast all on my own, so it really does mean the world when you share and subscribe and review and rate. This week, I'm chatting to Michael Miller, the co-founder of the London and New York Meditation Centres and a man who I feel I owe a lot to. In December 2016, my struggle with anxiety had reached an all-time high and yoga and meditation apps just weren't cutting it. I'd heard great things about Michael's work and found myself sitting at one of his introduction classes. I was certain I was in the right place as soon as he started speaking and my hope is that you will feel the same when you listen to this episode. Daily meditation is one of the tools I use to keep on top of my mental health and maybe it can help you too. In this episode we discuss the meaning of meditation, why we should meditate, the importance of de-exciting the mind and body and whether or not meditation can save the world. I hope you enjoy it. Here is Michael Miller on Talking Taste Buds. Hello. Hi, Vanita. Welcome to Talking Taste Buds. I'm so pleased to be here. I'm so pleased to have you here. I've been thinking of having you on as a guest for the longest time because I keep hearing myself talking about meditation and talking about the course that I did with the London Meditation Centre. It seems like it's the root of so much for me. So it only feels right to be sat across you in the room that I learned to meditate in all of those two and a half years ago to have you here to discuss everything meditation. So thank you. It's great. And you know, you have talked about it and so many people have come along because of that. They, they come along because we do these little free talks so people can learn about it and they come along and I say, Oh, how, how did you hear about us? And they said, Oh, I was listening to this podcast and Venetia was talking about it. And I said, great, great. I mean, it's the, it's the best way for, when someone trusts you or trusts a friend and those people talk about it, that's the best way to come to meditation. That makes me so happy. Genuinely so happy. Let's start as we always do. What did you have for breakfast? Uh, I had two breakfasts today. (laughs) Today is a good day. Today is a good day. I'm a fan of breakfast. I was up early. I do an early morning meditation and then I had some uh, some granola with, with blueberries and I make myself a little coffee at home, so I I did a little stovetop espresso, and then did the popped it into the blender with with a bit of milk that had been pre-boiled, and uh, a little bit of butter, and then there's a, there's a an Ayurvedic powder that I mix in that we got from our doctors in India called Samadhi, which just takes the edge off the caffeine, and it's a little bit sweet and quite tasty. So I did that at home and then did a little school run. And then I had a few minutes to do some work. So I sat down in uh, my favorite local cafe in, in South Kensington and, uh, and had a bit of halloumi cheese and, and avocado 
just to get me through a long day. <laughs> I need that powder that takes the edge off. Oh yeah, we'll talk caffeine. about this. We Definitely. should 100% talk about it's that. To, it's totally natural, man. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I would never worry. I would never worry. So let's talk a little bit about your journey to meditation and and I guess your life journey in general. Um, sure. I'm really intrigued to know a little bit more about you and I know our listeners will be too. So where were you born? Where did you grow up? Was sure. food a feature? Mm. Who was the cook in your family? I I was born and grew up in Iowa, in the Midwest of America. Strangely, looking back on that, it seems a very long time ago. And I I grew up in a single parent family. It was my my mom was was the she was a public school teacher, and and so that was really very demanding what the Americans call public state state school mm-hmm. and uh, and she did she did the the cooking and, and the care and you know as a as a single mother in the 70s I think that was a real challenge and so there was an intent to be healthy and healthy in the 70s probably meant something different than healthy does now but a lot of home cooked food which was nice there was not a lot of eating out which I think was a real blessing because to have the love and the care going into preparation is as important as the ingredients themselves. You know, if the consciousness of the cook, if that person's awareness is going into the food, that's going to make it more nourishing and more digestible. And, you know, there's that caretaking aspect of food that's so, so wonderful. I couldn't agree with you more. And um, what about meditation? When did meditation come to you? Or did, did it find you or did you find it? It found me a bit. I was at university. and Where were uh, you at university? At the University of Northern Iowa, which was a, a state a college there in, in the Midwest. And I had a professor who was a bit of an old hippie. Yeah, he meditated a lot in the 60s. He had a big gray beard, so he must know what he's talking about. And he thought meditation was great, thought we should do it. And he gave us a chance to do it. Not really any instruction, just sort of, here's 10 minutes at the beginning of class. Maybe you want to stare at something to help control your mind. I had a tennis ball in my bag. And I pulled that out and I stared at the seams of this tennis ball for what then seemed like the longest 10 minutes of my uni career. My mind was all over the place, but you know, something happened. There was some settling down that occurred, and I thought, well, that was interesting. That part was interesting. How do I get some more of that part? And so I went on a search, and I started doing yoga, and I did martial arts, and then I moved to Seattle, and this was Seattle in the 90s, and so you know there was drum circles, and there was body work, and energy work, and all kinds of out there stuff, which was all enjoyable and interesting, but nothing really... I guess clicked or, or stuck. No, nothing found me that was sustainable. And then I had left that behind a little bit and I was in the corporate world. I was working in publishing. And uh, then a friend of mine learned this technique that you learned, Vedic meditation. And she was someone who was happy to the point of mania. <laughs> you know these Americans? <laughs> like, I know, yeah, I, I like how you specify Americans because I don't yeah. know many Brits like that. No, well, they're out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people who are just hyper happy yeah. all the time. And and she was a bit that way in a lovely way. But then she learned to meditate and it 
took the agitation, the, the edge off of it, it, it softened the whole thing. And that was noticeable really quickly. And so I was kind of paying attention. And then it would have been just two or three weeks in, she quit her job and she'd been talking about quitting this kind of horrible job for maybe a couple of years. And we had been saying to her, listen, that place is clearly not good for you. You need to get out of there. And then she just came and said, oh, by the way, I, I quit my job. This really, it was a big life decision that she went about in a non-dramatic way. And I thought, well, that is fascinating. I should learn some more. And so then her teacher was in town again, and I went along to a talk, and it was great. You know, about 10 minutes in, I said to myself, I'm going to do this. I'm not even quite sure yet what this is all about, but there was science and there was a clarity about how it was going to help my life, not that it was just a thing to do, but that it would have an effect on me outside. And, that, and that's the reason that people learn to meditate, not to be good meditators, but to change their life. This is a big question, or maybe it's not. What is meditation? The way I would define meditation is a practice that allows you to step beyond thought and de-excite the body so that you can release stress and come back to yourself. Now, if that doesn't sound appealing, I don't know what it does. <laughs> I love how you talk about de-exciting the body because I really feel that for so long now, excited and excitement has been such a huge part of our, of our vocabulary. Oh, how are you feeling today? Oh, I'm so excited about this. I'm so excited about this. About a year ago, I really try and tried to change my the way I used that phrase and instead of constantly saying I'm really excited I would just try and de-excite and say I'm looking forward to something mm. because I do think we live in this constant state of busyness and excitement which is why your defini definition of meditation when I listen to it I'm like oh, exhale <laughs> excitation is fine in appropriate circumstances as a baseline state that's not sustainable mm -hmm. and and whether that excitation is coming because of caffeine or because of adrenaline or because of the amount of engagement i have i'm just visually and physically stimulated all the time our bodies aren't designed to be excited in an excitory state all the time you we need to come back to what a biologist would call homeostasis, back into that settled, balanced state. And so meditation is not about making you unable to be excited. You don't turn into some spacey bliss bunny who doesn't respond to the demands of life. You actually respond more appropriately. And so that, because the way some people respond to stress is they disengage and detach and get lethargic and non-responsive. They're not able to be excited because they've been so overwhelmed, they just kind of shut down. Somebody else is in that excited state all the time, and that excitation can look like anxiety, it can look like anger, and these are not ways to be interacting in life all the time. It's okay to wonder about how things are going to work out, but if I'm in this agitated, worried, anxious state constantly, 
Well, because of what? Because the system is, is worked up. And to have the means whereby you can de-excite, you can settle back down, you can come back to that baseline, then you're more able to respond appropriately the rest of the time. I started meditating in the same way that I think a lot of people did through apps. Um, I used apps and that's how I started. And I think I managed about 10 days and then kind of found an excuse to stop doing it and I lost interest. Fortunately, I came across the course that you run and I learned how to Vedically meditate. Now, I wasn't alone in this. You, we, you mentioned briefly earlier before we, before I press record that you definitely noticed a kind of surge, um, in the amount of clients who were coming to you around the time that the app started to take off. So I'd love to hear your opinion on why if if you on if you think apps have been helpful in bringing people to meditation and also um why you think it's important to learn properly you know with a teacher in person as opposed to via an app sure we started london meditation center in 2008 and at that time there was a real education experience that we had to offer before even someone came along to learn because there was a little bit of a sense that meditation yoga was just really starting to bed in in london i remember in 2007 2008 seeing a guy walking down the street you know looking like he came from the city in his salaro suit with a yoga mat on his back and I thought, oh, there's a moment that's occurring right now. Something is starting to shift. I'd seen it in L.A. maybe eight years before that, that it, when I first started doing yoga in, in L.A., it would be me and 14 women in the class. And, you know, that was great in a certain way. But there was this moment where suddenly it started to shift, and the class was 20 people, and there were eight guys, and women are always ahead of the curve when it comes to this stuff. They're more tuned in to self-care. And meditation is the wave that comes right behind yoga. Yoga is easy because people are focused on their body, and they want to look good, and they start doing yoga, and then they start to get this sense of, oh, there's something more to yoga than just being bendy and fit. Mm. And so there was this moment that happened that all of a sudden that wave of yoga had occurred in London and meditation was coming, but still it was something that your strange Uncle Bill did who lived in a Volkswagen camper van. And we had to really very much talk about the science and that this isn't something that you have to change your lifestyle. You don't have to look like you do yoga in order to meditate. It's very different now, 10 years later. 10 years later, if I say in an introductory lecture, when people come along who are interested in learning, I say, who in the room has tried to meditate before? And 90% of the people will put their hand up. And I think most of those people have downloaded an app and had often the same experience that you had, which is, oh, it's kind of nice. It's interesting. I listened to two or three of them. I did the 10 free sessions. And then it kind of faded away. Or I signed up and I was paying whatever it is, 29 pound a month. And then I kind of got sick of that person's voice and I stopped. And now I've been paying 29 pound a month for a year and a half and I haven't listened to it. <laughs> and that's getting annoying. It's good because it's demystified it. 
people know that meditation is not weird now. They understand that there's value for what we could call normal people. And you don't have to stop drinking coffee and you know, start drinking only kale juice in order to be a meditator. It's not brown rice and sandals. And learning to meditate for an app is a little bit like learning to swim from a YouTube video. You might get some good tips, but eventually to really properly learn, you want someone on the side of the pool who knows how to swim. And in order to really properly meditate, you need personal instruction so that you have a picture of what it is you're doing, that there's an exchange. You're not just being guided in a visualization, which has its own value, but that's not being a self-sufficient meditator. That's listening to a guided meditation or a guided visualization. Fine, fine, good. And enough for some people, you know, the first rung on the ladder is enough for many people and more and more. And we have seen this significantly in the last year that people feel like, oh, I've tried that. Either it didn't work or it didn't go as far as I wish. Now I'm ready. I'm ready to do more. And and then they end up coming along to us and, and we make them self-sufficient. I learned with you guys and then I wasn't as routine with my practice. And that's when I started to rely on the apps. I would mm. use the apps in my moments of anxiety. You know, I'm oh, I'm really panicky. Okay, let me put an app on and calm myself down. Try and calm myself down. Interestingly, I've been, I haven't missed a day now since probably for about 10 months oh that's so great not twice i have to say michael just the once yeah but i haven't missed a day for about 10 months and i haven't picked up any of those apps for those emergency little sessions right that- so i talk about this being a it's like if i try train for a marathon i, I wouldn't do that <laughs> but, if, <laughs> but if i were to i would run every day and I would get in shape, and so when the day of the race came, I would be ready for it. I wouldn't think 40 minutes before the marathon, oh gosh, maybe I'll take a little spin around the park and get myself ready for this. And like that, like I would strategically train for a marathon, we look at meditation as strategy. Mm. And if you are meditating once a day and twice a day, you are getting in shape. And then what you find is when a demand comes, when some challenge is introduced to your life, you don't get as stressed because things are not stressful. Things are demanding. And whether I get stressed or not depends on my internal state, my ability to creatively adapt and interact with whatever the demand is. And so what people find when they're meditating regularly is that they're in shape emotionally, psychologically, psychically. So when that challenge comes, they can deal with it and they don't feel the need. You know, you can still get stressed as a meditator, but not as stressed and your recovery time is completely different. I'm sure you've noticed this, that you you still get a little worked up, but if something happens, you're not completely thrown off track. You snap back to center. Mm -hmm. Is it so? That's exactly what I've noticed. Now more than ever, life is busier and more demanding than it ever has been. So the fact that I'm kind of managing to maintain the routine and not feeling like I'm completely panicked is, is I guess, the evidence in itself. 
What is Vedic meditation exactly? Because I know this is something we haven't covered. And why do you think it's the kind of the best fit for, you know, busy people, you know, going about their everyday lives like like we are? The Veda, V-E-D-A, the Veda is the body of knowledge that comes out of ancient India from which we get meditation and yoga and Ayurvedic medicine, really all of Eastern philosophy. And this has been around for certainly 5,000 years, perhaps 10,000 years or more, depending on the scholar you talk to. We feel good about that. This has passed the test of time. You know, it wasn't thought up by some sociologist in the 80s. This has been around. Vedic meditation works so well because it works with the nature of the mind. Other techniques of meditation would fall into a couple of broad categories. We talked about visualization, and uh, which I would put in sort of as contemplation, deliberately thinking about something that hopefully is nicer than what I was thinking about before. Dwelling upon peace and love and compassion or visualizing I'm in a field and there's a babbling brook and there are butterflies and wait, why is my neighbor in the field with me? That's annoying. You know, then I'm distracted or I'm falling asleep and it can be a bit frustrating or even a little bit odd, like I'm not sure what's supposed to be happening. Concentration style, this is probably what people think about most. Focus the mind and stop thinking. You know, stare at the candle flame and don't think, don't think, don't think. Oh no, don't think, don't think. Now I just added another thought. And this gets really frustrating really fast because you're trying to use thought to stop thought. You've got a conflict from the very beginning and the mind is designed to move. And so what we do in Vedic meditation is you learn a mantra, a little meaningless sound that is chosen and personalized for you by the teacher. And when you think that inside, silently, it begins to get more quiet and more subtle. It self-refines. And that sound is very charming. It's very fascinating to your mind. And so your mind starts to move towards it, to follow it, because that's what the mind does. The mind moves toward whatever it finds interesting. So you offer up the mantra, the mind begins to move toward it, the mantra is getting more quiet and more subtle, mind follows it down, and then the mantra slips away and disappears, and you find yourself in a state of no mantra and no thought, there's pure awareness. So that comes about naturally by using the nature of the mind. Instead of fighting against the mind and trying to stop it, we use its tendency to follow charm to draw it into that less or least excited state. How long have you been using Vedic meditation now? Gosh, it's more than 15 years, I think, I've been meditating. And you've probably, well, I'm presuming you've meditated every single day in those 15 years, twice a day? <laughs> um, I... I have missed the occasional meditation. I don't know that I've ever missed a day completely. I can't think of a day that I missed completely, which is odd to me because when I learned, life was really full on. You know, I was in publishing slash entertainment industry in LA and you know, I was working a lot and playing really hard. And there was kind of every reason for me to not meditate. 
And for some reason, I learned and I just knew this is something I want to be doing. And I felt the difference right away. And when I really fe felt it was, I was, I was working on one of these big awards shows and uh, doing the program for, for that. And so leading up to that, it was really, really difficult. The, the people that I was working with from different directions were all very challenging and the project itself was really tough and it all had a lot of secrecy and a big deadline and then this award show happened and I even after all that work I didn't get to go but I did go to parties afterwards and it was quite glamorous and fun and I blew off steam I supposedly uh, blew off some stress by doing things that really make you more stressed mm -hmm. and I went to bed at four in the morning and then my alarm went off at eight and I got up and I meditated and I went into the office and no one else was in the office and I thought given what has happened over the last week and what happened last night it's unreasonable for me to be here this doesn't make sense that I'm here and I'm functioning like I am and nobody else and something different must be going on now this is clear to me now I don't think I thought about it that clearly in the moment, but that was this real turning point where I thought I am different than I used to be and I seem to be functioning differently than the people around me. And that's when my lifestyle started to change. You know, that the idea of trying to release stress in a way that creates more stress became less fascinating. Mm and changing my life to something that was a bit more sustainable and actually a bit more in alignment with who I actually was, how I felt. It, it resonated more with me. I think it can be very overwhelming when you initially hear, oh my gosh, if I'm going to do this the right way, I have to meditate every single day for 20 minutes right it can be overwhelming I'm, i remember when i first uh, knew that i had to do that i felt completely like how am i going to make this happen i thought the same i thought how in the world is this going to fit into my life there's no way there's no way and it and it did and it does we see it again and again most everyone who comes and learns feels like i just don't know how i'll fit this into my life and they and they do and I, I think it's a few reasons. For me, sleep was really different. I've, I didn't have any, a lot of people come because of insomnia. And it makes a big difference when it comes to that. This was not my sleep issue. I would hit the pillow, I'd be out in 30 seconds, I'd sleep for nine hours, and then I'd hit the snooze button for another 45 minutes. Like, I've been horizontal long enough. I should not feel this way and I can't drag myself out of the bed. And a couple of weeks of meditation, and I was getting up before my alarm. I was sleeping an hour less than I had been previously. So having invested 40 minutes of meditation, I earned myself 60 minutes of wakefulness. That was a good return right away. I was more efficient. I was getting things done. I was feeling like I had more time in my life. And just recently I had a, a guy who's a music exec come and he said, you know, I, I learned from you a couple of years ago. I meditated really regularly. It's kind of slipped a bit. I don't have time to not be meditating. You've got to get me back on track. <laughs> I love that. I thought it was so great. Like, here's this, 
you know, his life is full on. And to say, I can't not take this 20 minutes because I get so much out of it. You know, I'm not very disciplined about eating lunch. It happens every day. I know what happens if I don't eat lunch. You know, I am not going to feel as good in the afternoon. I'm not going to be functioning very well. I'm probably not going to be as friendly as I wish. Mm. I know what happens if I don't meditate. My bar for myself is higher. And in order to clear that bar, I have to meditate. So it's interesting. Some people will, will learn and they'll come and they say, I didn't meditate the other day. I felt terrible. Mm. Am I addicted to this? Am I addicted to meditation? And I say, let's get clear about the difference between dependency and addiction. I'm dependent on fresh water. If I didn't have any water all day today, I'd be miserable at the end of the day. You're not going to accuse me of being addicted to water. If I didn't sleep last night, I wouldn't be feeling very good today. Nobody thinks I'm addicted to sleep. If I didn't meditate today, I would not feel very good tonight. That's not an addiction. That's a good dependency. It makes me better to do this. I notice if I don't, great. That's the kind of dependency we love. Mm. I remember when I first learned to meditate with you, I just fell asleep. <laughs> and then I spent, I remember it's a, I remember I spent a lot of the weekend just being really quiet as I was learning and I just felt so tired. But eventually that tiredness left. And now I will, I will happily wake up 45 minutes an hour earlier than I would you know ideally like to so I can make sure that I meditate and do all kind of my morning rituals to make sure that I am the best version of myself that day is it true that when you meditate for a few minutes you're resting between two and five times more deeply than sleep there are studies that show with a technique of this type that we call an automatic self-transcendence technique. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Versus contemplation or contemplation or open awareness meditation, these different things. These techniques that involve spontaneously quietening the mind and resting the body it does seem that the body is resting much more deeply than sleep. And they measure this through oxygen metabolism. So oxygen is the main fuel of your body. And if you're using less fuel, you must be resting. When you rest, you don't need so much. And so they see a real dive in oxygen metabolism 
during meditation versus, you know, if, if we call sitting here the zero point, deep sleep after a few hours, you drop by about 10%, meditate in this technique for three or four minutes, and suddenly you've dropped 20% or even 50%. Really profound rest. So sleep is still important. You know, it's still important to have that state of consciousness, to get horizontal and still every 24 hours, blood pressure and hormone balance and all kinds of reasons. And as meditators, like you say, we're less dependent on sleep. I would rather get up and meditate than have a lion because I know that I'll feel better. And actually, everyone kind of knows this, that thing of waking up at seven on a Saturday and feeling like, oh, I could get up, but I'm just gonna lie here longer. And then you get up at 9.30 and you feel worse. Mm-hmm. This heaviness, this lethargy comes. If you get up and meditate, then you've actually gotten more rest and you just dive right into your day and you feel really, really different. I feel like I'm so routined at the moment with my kind of wake up, meditate routine that even on weekends when I would like like to lie in, my body's like, not today. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to wake you up at the same time every single day. And I, I think I think it does make you feel better. One of the reasons why I think your style of meditation is so appealing is because you make a point of saying, listen, you can still drink your coffee you can still drink your booze if you want but and this is crucial (laughs) what I think is very clever is that and I maybe I'm wrong but the more I meditated over the past few years the more in tune I became with my body and the more the less I wanted to I can't drink coffee anymore the less I want to drink uh you know, all of that stuff that I used to consider the good stuff, I have way less interest in now. Um, Just because I feel so much more connected to my body and how I'm feeling. And to me, the kind of optimum state now is that kind of de-excited state that you talk about. Do you notice a lot, this a lot with people who do your course? Do they come in sort of you know, drinking five nights a week and, and loaded up on caffeine and then that, that happens less and less the more they meditate, meditate. Meditation brings you into balance and from a balanced state, you make decisions that are best for you. And that's different from person to person. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite good with one cup of coffee in the morning. Like my physiology can handle that and I enjoy it. I like good coffee and I'll do one cup each morning. Jillian, my partner, has a little spoonful of the foam on top of my coffee, and that's enough for her. <laughs> you know, just the smell from across the room, and she's like, okay, that's enough. She loves the smell, done. Me and Jillian are one and the same. I only wish that my partner had a coffee a day so I could have a spoonful of the foam, but he can't have it either. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so... She knows that about herself. In, in Ayurveda, there's a, there's a saying. We don't say no, N-O. We say no, K-N-O-W. Know what is best for you. So there was a, a student who was very committed to doing an intense hot yoga program. She would do it three days a week. And she came, came along to learn. And she had that sort of glowing skin, crazy clear-eyed look that people who are doing intense hot yoga all the time have. And she learned to meditate. And a few weeks later, she came back and she said, oh, I've stopped doing that yoga. 
And I said, really? What, why is that? She said, it's gross. It's gross. It doesn't feel good. The room stinks. My body hurts afterwards. Now, if that person had come to me and said, I'm thinking about starting to do yoga, should I do hot power yoga? I would have said, no, actually for your body type, for your psychophysical type, that wouldn't be my recommendation. You should do Iyengar, something a bit more restorative. She just felt that in her body. She made that correction. And that's what happens. People say, oh, I used to get home from work and have half a glass of wine to relax. I always hear in my head, half a bottle. Because <laughs> really, did you just have half a glass? <laughs> so but, they, but they say, I meditated on the tube on the way home and I didn't feel like I needed wine. I didn't want that because actually I was relaxed already. It is a big part of learning how to meditate and committing to meditation an act of letting go. Yes. This is a practice of letting go. And I think for many people, the very first thing they have to let go of is their idea of what meditation is going to be. That I'm going to learn how to sit here and not think. I'm going to control my mind into submission and I'm going to experience some cosmic blissy thing every time I sit down. And if I'm not getting that, I'm not meditating correctly. And we have to, we have to correct that perception. Very first thing you have to do is let go of some fantasy of what meditation is. I have this great photograph one of my trips to, to India. I'm thinking about this because I'm just about to take a bunch of people on retreat there. And this great photograph of a guy who looks like what you think of when you think of a meditator. You know, he's sitting in full lotus on a stone on top of the mountain and he has dreadlocks piled up on his head and maroon robes and beads and perfectly serene face. And you don't look at this guy and think, hmm, he's thinking about his lunch. He probably is. Yeah. <laughs> and the moment before I took the photograph, he was not sitting like that. He was leaning against the rock and the beads were tucked away. When I pulled out my camera, he took a pose and it makes for a great photograph. But people look at that photograph or pictures like it and they think or they project onto those people some experience. Mm. And that's probably not what they are experiencing. Mm. Certainly not all of the time. So you have to let go. You have to be willing you know, to learn to meditate. We say you don't have to do anything except be curious and do as you're told for a few days. <laughs> Follow some simple instructions. And then it starts to happen. If you try to control the experience, you inject your personal agenda, that's when you're fighting against nature. And nature is going to be in charge of this. Nature will deliver what you need. Something that I found it really helpful for was intuitive eating it brought me when I learned it brought me back to a real state of calm and suddenly I felt like I was really listening to my body and what I wanted to eat and this was genuinely the first time that I had properly tuned into this I mean for years probably for about five six seven years a really really long time my brain had been full of just thoughts of what what am I going to eat that's gonna you know that's the healthiest or that's gonna make me look a certain way and suddenly I felt what do I really want to eat 
And to me, that's health. To me, that's how you eat healthily. You listen to what your body is really, really saying at once. And that doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter how healthy, in adverted commas, it is. If you feel like it's going to bring you joy and it's going to bring you enjoyment and it's going to bring you nourishment, chances are that it will. Do you think that meditation can be very helpful with people who have maybe a negative relationship with food, maybe you know, one that's kind of cluttering their mind a little bit. And have you noticed that with people that you've taught? So much, so much. It's a great, I'm really glad you brought it up because I think that our relationship with food is a really interesting one because there's pleasure and there's nourishment and there's family history and there's self-care. There's so many things wrapped up in this and people find different things that when they are less excited, when they are not stressed, then even in the first few days, someone will come along and say, I went, you know, after just meditating two days, I went out last night and I had this huge plate of pasta and I would usually never have that much processed starch and carbohydrate, but I don't know, I was just so hungry and it looked so good and, you know, what's, what's going on? Well, have you been restricting your diet in some way? either not eating certain nutrients or not allowing yourself to experience food as pleasure. And as the body and the mind come into balance, then you can notice that and allow it to happen a little bit. Other people will say, oh, I've I've stopped snacking so much. Now, why is that? Well, maybe when they were little and they cried, mom popped a biscuit in their mouth and they stop crying. And now I'm 30 and I'm at the office and somebody says something a little mean and I pop a muffin in my mouth and I feel a bit better. Except do I really feel better than I beat myself up after? If I'm not emotionally worked up, then maybe I don't eat for those emotional reasons. That I make a choice that is correct for me in the state that I'm in. You know, to eat, to cope, absolutely fine until it's not fine. And that's different for different people. Some people sit down and have one pan of chocolate and they think this is really off for me. Somebody else actually needs some sweetness. You know, they've been so strict and so tight with themselves that, you know, I say, have you had any pudding lately? Well, how, what are you doing to give yourself a little sweetness in life? If pudding is the only way I get sweet, well, then there's a different kind of imbalance. Mm. You know, maybe I need to get that from my relationship or from sitting and reading something entertainment and entertaining instead of consuming rubbish media, you know, things that feel good. You're available to that as a meditator. You're not your senses aren't masked by stress and by fatigue. When should someone start meditating? Now. <laughs> We've all been stressed long enough. <laughs> you know, if, you're, if someone is listening to this and they're thinking, oh, that sounds really interesting and good, do it. Do something. Strike while the iron's hot. You know, if you're feeling a little bit inspired right now, download an app. You know, that is... Doing something is better than nothing. Mm. Get going in some way. Go to your local yoga center and, and do something 
there, you know, there's stuff out there. If you can get yourself into London and, you know, I'd love to teach everybody who's listening right now and we would figure out how to do that. There's so many ways to access this now and different things re- do resonate for different people. The second half of my question was going to be, or should we, and I knew, I knew you were going to say no, but should, or should we wait until, you know, I, I feel, I feel like a lot of people wait until they feel like they need to do some self-improvement, you know, after a breakup, for example. But I really think that there is, if you're in, if you're in a good place right now, in inverted commas, of course, if you're in a good place right now, learn now so you have the tools that when shit does hit the fan, you have this amazing tool to help guide you through it. Be on the front foot if you can do that. I, I say... Things have to be bad enough for someone to learn to meditate. And it's really interesting because bad enough means something really different for different people. Mm. There, was a, there was a guy that I taught in New York a while back. And lawyer had become a real estate developer, quite well off economically in his early 60s, just wrapping up a really painful divorce. His adult children weren't speaking to him. His new girlfriend was about to leave him. The doctor had said, I think you're gonna have a second heart attack. He said, I'm keeping a bottle in the bottom drawer of my desk. I don't think that's good. And the doctor said, well, maybe meditation is something to try. You know, it had to get that bad before this guy came along. He would, you know, if you met him on the street, you would not think, ooh, meditator. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was not an obvious choice. And he learned and he absolutely loved it. One of the most committed meditators. Somebody else, you know, life is really good in most every way, but maybe it's not always going to be like this. Maybe something is coming. Maybe I'm getting a little bit older. Maybe work is getting a bit more demanding. And I just don't want to ever get into that spot. You know, better to learn in your 20s when you're feeling really good or in your 30s when you're st- still feeling good or in your 40s when you've just started to feel a little bit too stretched than to learn in your 50s or 60s when you're or in your 20s when you're absolutely stretched to the breaking point Mm. like why wait that long and if that's the place that you find yourself in fine you know you don't need to feel like in order to meditate I need to be relaxed or balanced or feel, you know, don't wait for life to slow down before you learn to meditate because that doesn't happen. There's an Instagram quote which goes something like, you never regret a workout. For me, there's been plenty of workouts that I've regretted, but I have never regretted a meditation. That's, that is a great thing. So, you know, always there is something to do other than meditate. Rarely is there something better to do. And never do you meditate and afterwards think, man, I should have sent those emails instead. Yeah. Oh, if only I had done something else. You never think about that. You never think that afterwards. Talking of excuses, I don't have time to meditate. Oh, I do this activity mindfully. Um, All of these excuses that we come up and we tell ourselves. Uh, What are some of your favorite ones and what is your response? Running is my meditation. This is my favorite one. Oh, running is my meditation. I say, oh, that's interesting. Rock climbing is my running. 
They say, what do you mean? Rock climbing's not running. And I say, yeah, running's not meditating. Completely different. Mm. Complete. I get it. It feels good. Your mind gets a little bit more quiet, but it's not delivering rest. You feel less stressed after you run. That's because your body was saying right before you ran, a bear is attacking me. You're in the stress response all day long. You know, somebody stepped on my foot on the tube and I yelled at them and then I got into work and I got a phone call from my boss and that didn't go well. And then I met with a client and that was miserable. And all day long, the body is having this binary response. Do I fight? Do I flee? Do I fight? Do I flee? Finally, it's the end of the day. I can get to Hyde Park. Now I can flee. Great. I run. The body goes, oh, finally, I can get away from the bear. And I feel a little bit after, little better afterwards. And physically I'm exhausted and I didn't really unwind the stress that I took on all day. I just blew off the physical excitation and it's all going to come back tomorrow. Mm. Meditation de-excites the system, clears that stress out, and it makes you more conscious, more aware, more alert, more able to respond to those same demands tomorrow. Should we talk a little bit about social media? I'd love to. It's a, it's a reason that people don't meditate. Oh, I didn't have time to meditate today. Really? Let's have a look at that tracker on your iPhone and see how much time you spent on Instagram this week. Mm-hmm. Really? Really? Yeah. That lit up on your phone on Sunday morning and it said you spent five hours a day on your phone. What would have been different if you had taken 20 minutes in the morning and sat down and meditated before you flipped to that. I don't mind, you know, I enjoy flipping through Instagram and looking at some nice photographer's work. I get a kick out of getting on Twitter and looking at who's ranting about what. I find those things entertaining and useful. And if I find myself using them to disconnect from the world around me, to not be in the present moment, to avoid, then I'm starting to flip over into something that's not particularly healthy or helpful for my day-to-day experience. Entertainment is great. Just don't think that it's relaxing. Mm -hmm. Watching Game of Thrones, not relaxing. Entertaining, great. Enjoy some entertainment. Flipping through Twitter, entertaining. Not a way to function in the day-to-day good to connect with people online amazing support system for a lot of you know it's been it's become a really meaningful thing for so many people things like the me too movement this is brilliant this is the power of people connecting and changing the world and that's great looking at what other people had for breakfast and feeling badly about what you had for breakfast, this doesn't make sense. And make a correction if you find it bringing you down instead of it being a way to connect with others and and lift you and others up. If you're bummed after you look at it, then adjust your diet. Mm. It's just about having those boundaries, isn't it? You're not saying don't use it at all. You're saying just have better boundaries with it. Use it. Use it for what it is, entertainment. Absolutely. And use your phone for things that the phone is good for, which is pushing you to do stuff. And so if you've learned to meditate, you know, pick up, I happen to be an iPhone user, so it's the way I think. Pick it up and say, hey, Siri, remind me to meditate 
Oh my phone just Oh my gosh, Siri is so in tuned with you. <laughs> Siri's like, yeah, I'm ready to remind you. Every day, twice a day. Exactly. Remind me to meditate every day at 3 p.m. And every day a little note will pop up saying meditate at 3 p.m. And then I look at that and think, can I meditate right now? Oh no, but I can meditate at 5.30. Great. And suddenly I've made use of that technology to nudge me to do something that I want. There are these great habit forming apps. Put it in there. You know, every day there's a little app on the phone that has a red badge next to it with a two. And after I meditate in the morning, I tick the box and now it's a one. And then I meditate in the afternoon and I tick it again and now there's no red badge there and I feel kind of satisfied. Mm. Great, you know, feel a little smug at the end of the day because I meditated twice, great, <laughs> wonderful. I did that for, I used one of those apps just because I was interested in how it worked. And, you know, I got to like 500 days that I'd meditated twice a day. And I thought, actually, I'm just kind of bored of ticking the box every day. I'm not going to do this. I had the same with the counting your 10,000 steps every day. Right. Yeah. Kind of interesting for a while and then not so interesting anymore. Can we touch briefly on the importance of not overanalyzing your meditations because I remember when I started meditating I was so keen to think about every single meditation at great length and talk about it and learn about it and actually a bit like what we were saying earlier about letting go it's that's not really the point of it is it the point of it is not the experience you're not meditating to be good at meditation you're meditating to be good out in the world I don't shower in the morning for the experience of showering. Sometimes it's a nice experience. You know, I've got some new body wash and it feels really lovely to be in the shower, but I don't later think about that. Oh, what a great shower this morning. That was so amazing. If it's just a regular everyday shower, I just soap and rinse and get on with my day. I don't later in the day think, oh, that was kind of a lousy shower this morning. I don't think about it at all. Later in the day, you're glad I took a shower. I'm glad I took a shower. Everybody <laughs> encounter is glad that I took a shower. But the experience of showering wasn't actually the point. Mm. And this is meditation. You know, you want to know how to do it correctly. It should feel easy. If you're struggling, if you're gritting your teeth, if you're sweating bullets during meditation, then you're using effort that is probably going to be hard to maintain and sustain. And you're not going to keep doing it. You're not getting out of it what you should. It should feel easy and simple and natural and innocent. And when you do that, it feels good enough. And then you get on with your day and you don't think about it. Possibly the biggest question. Which really, just now. Just now you're hitting me with a big one. Now I'm hitting you with a big one. <laughs> if we all meditated at least once a day, do you think we would have a better chance of saving the planet. <laughs> well. <laughs> I found myself writing this question and I was like, can I ask this? The thing is that it's not going to happen. And not everyone has to meditate because if you are meditating regularly, you are different. And every person you interact with gains from that. If you are clearer and calmer, and more balanced and thinking better and more creative and happier and getting along better with everybody that you encounter, then that has a spreading effect. You are impacting the people around you. You're lifting people up. 
And then those people have a little more, whether they're a meditator or not, they, they've been lifted up and that then gives them the ability to encounter some other people and lift people up. So there's this wave that goes out from every meditator. There are millions of people who have learned techniques like Vedic meditation around the world. And if all those people are getting all of those benefits and it's spreading, this is changing society in some, it's immeasurable, but it's immeasurable. This is how we create a more peaceful society, not by enforcing peace upon the society. You know, we can't get a new government or get Brexit worked out or unload Brexit or get a different U.S. president or, you know, all these things that people focus on. They think, if only this, then... If, if not that, something else. Mm. We're not going to change the world top down, clearly, clearly. We're not going to wait for our stressed out boss or our worked up neighbor or these useless politicians to figure out the world for us. We've got to do that for ourselves. We have to be our very best self and then take that into the world and then we start to create world peace from the individual level because society is made of individuals change the individuals change the society i love that final few questions what are your three kitchen essentials these are three ingredients not appliances ingredients that knowing you have them in your kitchen makes you feel more relaxed about life (laughs) this is great uh so every Sunday morning, we make pancakes and we make those with whole grain spelt flour. And I love that. They, you know, it, it's a, it's a pancake recipe, hotcake recipe that doesn't have any sugar. It does have a little bit of egg and a little bit of ricotta and they are so delicious and feel actually nourishing. This is a Granger and co recipe it's Granger's and co recipe that I found online somewhere mine are nothing like theirs (laughs) I don't know how they do it but it's turned into something that is ours that works really well so whole grain spelt um whole A2 milk A2 milk comes from a different kind of cow the proteins are easier to digest I know not everybody is dairy but that is something and I try to have milk every day i boil it boil it three times so it foams up and you cool it down and it foams up and you let the foam go down you foam it up one more time you throw in a little bit of turmeric and drink that sometimes they call it golden milk don't mix honey into it don't heat honey this is one of the biggest things you can do for your health raw honey not heated don't cook with it um that that is something that i feel really really good about and uh, I'm a fan of a bit of dark chocolate. Ugh, me you know, both. a little bit of 70%, 85% even, that, that will, uh, one little square of that gets me through an afternoon in a, in a different way. I wish it was one square for me. <laughs> <laughs> How would you feel about doing a quick fire round? Okay, go. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Breakfast. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Porridge or pancakes? Pancakes. London or New York? Yes. You said yes. Yes. Can I say both? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I live in London. I like the combination London, I guess. 
Yoga or meditation? Meditation. Take a nap or meditate? Meditate. Headspace or calm? <laughs> oh, uh, calm. Lemons or limes? Limes. Chili or garlic? Garlic. Teaching or retreating? Teaching. Chocolate or nut butter? Nut butter. Talking or taste buds? Talking. What feeds your soul? Both Jillian and I, we gave up careers, you know, whole corporate things that were going on. We let go of in order to offer up meditation to other people because we were doing it. It was making such a difference for us individually in our lives that we felt like other people needed to have this. And I love doing it. I love teaching people. I love seeing the change that happens. I'm absolutely passionate about offering this up to to the world and i feel very fortunate in that way that that i've found something that i actually enjoy and allows me to you know support a family and yet is doing something that i feel like is making the world a little bit of a, a better place and and to have that combination I, I feel very fortunate and very nourished and and blessed you're absolutely absolutely doing just that. And finally, what is your death row dinner, starter, main, and dessert? Oh my gosh. All right. Um, starter, you know, I really like, there's an amazing Italian restaurant in, uh, in New York, Il Buco Alimentare, and they have, um, they have an amazing starter, uh, fried artichokes. Mm. I would start with that. Um, the main, I'm a, a big fan of simplicity and I like, um, a simple veggie, creamy pasta mm. with a whole grain spaghetti. I really like that. And then, um, probably tiramisu to wrap it all up before they wrapped me all up. <laughs> What great choices. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. It's been so nice to get to spend some time together. I've loved it. Yay. Awesome. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, then please do share it on your Instagram stories or just link it to your friends. It makes the biggest difference in helping me get the word of the podcast out there. As always, I've left links to Michael and his work in the show notes and make sure you come back next week for a brand new episode. Until then, have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusive Exclusions apply. See site for details.